Well, if you have your Bibles with you, you can open with me to Luke chapter 11. Uh, we spent uh, six weeks on the Lord's Prayer, uh, seeing that there's a world of meaning in there. Uh, and this morning, uh, we're going to continue on, not in the Lord's Prayer, but with Jesus teaching on prayer. Uh, because the disciples asked Jesus how to pray, and Jesus gave them the Lord's Prayer, and he also gave them uh, the text we have before us today. Luke chapter 11, uh, starting in verse uh, 5 and going through verse 13. Luke 11, uh, starting in verse 5. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer him from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are in bed, are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, that though he will not give up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and to the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if he has a son, asks for a fish, and instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let's pray. Uh, Father, help us learn what Christ is teaching us about prayer this morning. Help us know what he knows about you, Father. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we continue uh, our study on prayer, you might notice in your notes that it was a long week. I told Laura I, I got a little sympathy for George Whitfield who preached every day, except he preached like five times a day, and he only lived to be 50 years old. Uh, that's a tough pace to sustain, just preaching every day at camp, and then coming here this morning, you might notice in point one of your notes that uh, I, I, may, I may be a little tired. It says, Jesus tells us, teaches us to pray. Well, both those things are true. He tells us to pray, and he teaches us uh, to pray. Uh, but as we think about how we're to pray, and as we consider our own prayer life, my prayer is that you do not just think of this outside of yourself, but that you would really ask yourself and be honest with yourself about your prayer life. What we've already seen in the Lord's Prayer is that when we pray, we pray to our Father. That's shocking. Our Father. 
And that we pray that He would be glorified, that His name would be hallowed. All of our prayers should be that He would be glorified. Whatever requests we have, they ought to be asked in order that we might be able to glorify Him in the request. And then we're to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Let all your work be done, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. And as we pray, recognize that He gives us all things, our physical needs and our spiritual needs. It's God-centered, and we might think that because prayer is God-centered for His glory, and it's all about Him, that maybe we need to just kind of back off on our prayers a little bit. But Jesus says just the opposite. He, in fact, teaches something that I think is shocking to us when we look at it. And I want to begin by asking a few questions to you as you consider your prayer life. What keeps you from praying? It could be you're too self-reliant. You don't think you need God's help. Is it that you think God is too busy for your small things? Maybe you don't pray much except about big things because God is busy and He doesn't care about the small things in my life. Maybe you don't pray much because you think God has already been so gracious to you. How could I bother Him for more? You know, if He's already saved me in Christ, who am I to come and ask for more from Him? Maybe you don't pray much because you don't think prayer really does anything. It's not going to be effective. It would be a waste of time. You could do better off searching for your own answers and your own wisdom and your own power. It could be that you believe that God is sovereign over all things, so what is the purpose? So one thing that could keep you from praying is, because I know the Bible teaches that God is sovereign over all things, so what's the purpose of praying? Because if He declares all things from the beginning, then what's the real need to pray? That might keep you from praying. It could be that you doubt God's goodness. I can't tell you the amount of people I've talked to. uh, When I ask them, uh, do you go to church? Or I'm trying to find out if they're a believer or not. I'll hear something like, you know, this happened in my life. After such and such happened, I kind of gave up on God. I kind of quit praying. So it's beginning to believe the lie that God isn't good that may be the reason that you haven't been knocking on His door. 
The Bible tells us in this passage, Christ tells us in this passage to ask and seek and knock and to do it boldly and shamelessly in a way that almost isn't even proper. It's kind of surprising. That's what I love about God. Just when you think God's one way, then Jesus says this about the way we seek Him. Whenever we go to Watertown and we go to my folks' house, it, I, I know the scene that's going to happen as soon as we get out of the car. All my girls are going to make a beeline for my dad. Because my dad always has a couple packs of Tic Tacs in his pockets when he knows the granddaughters are going to come. And they know it. And I'm almost embarrassed by it because they're pushing and shoving to get to him. And they're not even saying, hey, Grandpa, I love you. (laughs) They're just coming for Tic Tacs. And I'm telling them, what do you say? Say thank you. Give him a hug. Give him, they're just coming for Tic Tacs. And yet, it's like they don't even hear me. (laughs) They're they're just going to do what they're going to do. And my dad's going to do what he does. And he'll empty that thing at Tic Tacs. And he's got five more in his bedroom. Because all day long, every 20 minutes, they're coming for Tic Tacs. And I've tried to shut down the operation, and I can't shut it down with my dad. And it's definitely not going to work with my girls. They shamelessly come with their hands wide open, wanting Tic Tacs, and they know they're not going to be rejected. Maybe a couple times, and he learned his lesson, he forgot to have them. It almost never happens. He's got pockets full of Tic Tacs. I like them too, by the way. But Jesus wants us to know about his Father. And uh, let's look at this text and see what he wants us to know about prayer And before we dive into it, I want to attack the one question on the front end. Why pray if God is sovereign? So this church is called Sovereign Grace Church. We believe in a big God. We believe what the Bible says about God. The Bible says that God is sovereign not over all things in general, but all things specifically. The big things and the little things... In Isaiah 46, in verse 8, as God is trying to help Israel through the mouth of Isaiah remember who he is, here's how God defines himself. Remember this and stand firm. Call it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Now here's how he describes himself declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. God doesn't merely know the end from the beginning, but he declares them. He doesn't merely know what human 
beings are going to do, but he declares the doings of everything in the world. Saying, my counsel shall stand. I will accomplish all of my purpose. And someone might say, well, in general, God has a plan. The problem is, is this is what God says next through the mouth of Isaiah. My counsel shall stand. I will accomplish all of my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the far east. Something as insignificant as a bird flying, God declared it. And I will, uh, from the far east, and the man of my counsel from a far country. Now everyone knows that the prophet's from God. But even the bird is from God. God's saying all of it. This is what it means to be God. I declare it. I have spoken. I'll bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. That's sovereignty. Or Isaiah 45, 7. I form light and create darkness. One of the biggest arguments against the sovereignty of God is evil in the world. And they'll say, those who try to deny God's sovereignty, they're trying to get God off the hook for bad things that happen in a fallen world. But the interesting thing is, I form, the Hebrew word form, is a word used of man building stuff, like building a house, forming a house. But the word create, I form light, and I create darkness. Create is a word only used of God. It's the stronger word. And it's almost as if Isaiah wants them to know, don't think God's only in the good, easy things. But he's in the hard things. I form light. I create darkness. I make well-being. I create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Or Lamentations 3.37, who has spoken and it come to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? If anything's happened, it's been commanded. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both good and bad come? Or how about Psalm 139.16? Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book they were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me when there was not yet one of them. Before you were formed in your mother's womb, God knew every one of your days before there was one of them, so someone might say, why pray? What's the purpose of God's sovereign? The answer is this. Because God not only determines the ends and the beginnings, but he also determines the means to those ends. And the means of God's plan for us that'll get us to our destination, to the end, is a life of communion with Him by faith, believing in the promises of God, going as children, taking the promises of God, saying, Dad, this is what you said. You never lie. It's true. Give it to me. God ordains the means that get to the ends. And he means for us to have fellowship 
with him throughout all of our life. And he means to make our prayers powerful. That's the means from which he works through. Let me give you an example. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Think of that. Think. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil. To give you future and a hope. The very next verse says this. Then you'll call on me and come and pray to me and I'll hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek with all your heart. You see how they go together? I know the plans I have for you. Then you'll call on me and you'll seek me and you'll find me. They're not opposed to each other. Anyone who says God's sovereign so I don't pray is not biblical. And they're not going to see, they're not going to enjoy the blessing of communion with God and answer prayer because God means, His means to do His will comes through prayer. So let's look at our text. Let's see what Jesus is trying to teach us. And He said to them, which one of you has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread? Now, this wasn't uncommon in Jesus' day. Uh, very few people traveled in the middle of the day, if it was a long journey, because it was so hot. So people would travel at night. And there's a cultural principle built into the people of Israel, all the way from the Old Testament law, and, and it was in the culture as well, is that hospitality was the most important thing. To not show hospitality to a friend that show, all of a sudden showed up, they didn't have cell phones to let you know they were coming, would be a horrible, terrible thing. I was privileged enough to live next to a neighbor like that in Minnesota. Every time I showed up, food would appear on the table and she would just tell me to eat and eat and eat and eat and eat. It's probably a good thing I eventually moved away because I ate way too many meals there. But if someone walked in the door, she was going to be getting something. So this scenario plays out where a friend shows up at midnight and another friend goes to his neighbor and knocks on the door and says, open up. I don't have any loaves. I have a friend that came knocking on the door. Now, most people in Israel lived in a one-bedroom home. And a lot of times the animals would be on the floor of the home inside the house. And then there would be a, a little platform with a mat on it where the whole family would sleep. Here we see the father has his children in bed. And there's no quiet way to wake up. Anyone who's been a parent knows how hard it can be to get children down. This is not a convenient uh, circumstance for the neighbor that's sleeping. <laughs> In fact, he yells from inside, don't bother me, the door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. So, he's an honest neighbor. I want to be your friend in the daylight, but right now, I don't want to be your friend. I'm not going to get up. 
So Jesus tells the story. And then he says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Now think about this. The one laying in bread or in bed is friends with the one standing outside that wants bread. And that friendship is not enough to get him out of bed. Though he's his, his friend, he won't get up and open the door. But I tell you, though he'll not get up and give him anything because he's a friend, yet because of his impudence, there's a word we never use, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. What is impudence? It's a word only used once in the New Testament, anadia, and it has this idea of shamelessness, uh, audacity, boldness, uh, persistence to the point of annoyance because, no, I will not get up and give you bread. Boom, 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 boom. I need bread. We're in bed. I'm in bed with my children. I will not get up. Boom, 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 boom. I need bread. Open for me. Give me bread. I need it. Okay. They're all awake anyways. I'll get up and I'll give you what you need. And Jesus says, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it'll be opened. Jesus is saying, if the friend who will get up and give him something, even though he's annoyed by it, if he will do it, how much more will God, who isn't annoyed by our knocking on the gates of heaven, how much more will he be willing to give you good things? And then he ups the ante. He goes from friend to father. Look at verse 9. I tell you, ask, I, I mean verse 11, uh, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead... Uh, of a fish, give him a serpent, or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, now let's just stop here. You got to understand what Jesus is saying. He's speaking to his disciples, which are saved. <laughs> they love Jesus and they love God. And yet Jesus has no problem saying, if you who are evil, he doesn't say, you who sometimes practice evil, we as human beings, as saved human beings, still have real evil that's alive inside us. And Jesus says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to him who asks So what do we make of 
what Jesus is saying about prayer. What do we need to learn about how we are to pray? William Morris says, one thing is this. We must not play at prayer. We must show persistence. If we do not receive the answer immediately, it is not that God is unwilling and must be pressed into answering. The whole context makes it clear that he's eager to give. But if we do not want what we are asking for enough to be persistent, we do not want it very much. The idea is, we, is Jesus says, when you pray, pray like a kid. I mean, a kid comes up to his parents and has total confidence and boldness to ask their parents for the things they need, right? Even unbelieving parents want to give their children what they need. And look at how your children come up to you. We're evil. And that they come with confidence that we're going to give them good things. Now, they kind of know we're not going to give them the candy bar after they've already had four. But they, even they know that's not good. In this context, sometimes you'll have a, a name it and claim it prosperity gospel preacher take this text and say, see, whatever you ask, God will give you. And they don't realize that Jesus is teaching them how to pray. And the Lord's prayer is at the front end of this. And the nature of our prayer is that God would be glorified. That his will be done. That all provision comes from him. But when you pray, you better come like children, knowing that God is so much better than any earthly father we might have. And so the charge, the main point of this message is know your heavenly father and approach him in prayer. Shamelessly, boldly pray, asking, seeking, and knocking for these four reasons. The first one's simple. Jesus tells you to. The command in this passage is in verse 9. I tell you, ask, seek, knock. And the reason why is because it will be fruitful. The one who asks, it'll be given. You who seek will find, knock, and it'll be open to you. You will never knock at the door of heaven and have God shut you out if you're coming to him knowing who he is, that he's a good father. This doesn't mean it's a blank check. That one, no good father gives out blank checks to their children. Just says, go do whatever. But God does want to hear from you. He never gets annoyed with you. And the first good reason to do it is because Jesus just simply tells us to. He doesn't just tell us to. He commands us to approach God this way. And he means for it all the time because earlier he says, whenever you pray, which means every time you pray, pray like this, Lord's Prayer, and then this parable. And Jesus argues like a good Jewish rabbi would from lesser to greater. If an evil father would do this, how much more will your heavenly father 
give good things. Second, he's a good father. Jesus wants his disciples to know how merciful and gracious and generous his father is. Half the Sermon on the Mount, all of chapter 6 of, of, uh, of Matthew, which is half of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is basically arguing that don't you know my father is a rewarder of those who seek him? Don't pray in public to get the praise of man. Go in secret. My father who sees in secret will reward you. Don't fast so that people will see you and give you praise. Rather, make yourself look like you're not fasting and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And then he says, you know, look at the lilies of the field. Look at the birds of the air, the insignificant things. If God clothes them, how much more will my heavenly father close you? You don't have to use all these words and try to wrestle something good out of the hands of God to be heard by our many words. We need to remember who God is. He's good and he's merciful. And he wants to bless you and he wants to answer your prayers. Scott's message last week from Hebrews 4 fits hand in hand with this. Since then, this is Hebrews 4.14, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, since, since he's great and he's a high priest who's passed through the heavens, for we do not let us hold fast to our confession. We do not have a high priest that's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You might think of Jesus like this. You got to be kidding me. You screwed up again. I thought you were stronger than that. I thought you would do better than that. How dare you come to me again after screwing up again? But this says, no, our great high priest knows we're weak. He knows who we are, and yet he keeps his role as mediator. And in light of that, it says this, let us then, since that's who he is, with confidence or boldness, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, there is no throne in the world that is called the throne of grace except God's throne. That is a foreign concept. Every other king, every other false god in every other religion is not a throne of grace. It's a throne of righteousness, maybe, where you better live up or else. But our God is merciful. And you can come confidently and boldly in the blood of Jesus Christ and ask Him who gives generously. It's amazing. In fact, when Moses wanted to know who God was, he wanted to see God, and the Lord passed before him. Here's what the Lord says about himself. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. The first words God uses to describe himself is merciful and gracious. 
You want to know what mercy is? God not giving you what you deserve. You want to know what grace is? Giving you what you do not deserve. The Lord, the Lord, the one who doesn't give you what you deserve, but gives you what you do not deserve. Slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Isn't that amazing? And then he says, but who will by no means clear, clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So it's like, which is it? Is he merciful and gracious or is he going to pun- punish us in our sins, well, he's merciful and gracious, Christian, because he sent Christ and punished our sin on Christ. So that Jesus says, when you pray, it's like this shameless, bold, confident, I'm not leaving. I know you're good. You're not like the guy laying in bed saying, oh, you're here again. That's not what you're like. Jesus wants them to know what he's like. Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, the fear, fear the Lord, O oh, you as saints. For those uh, uh, who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Do you know he's good? John 13, 1 says this of Christ, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Do you love your children? Do you want to give good things to your children? Well, you're evil and you want to do that. You have selfishness and sin and yet you want to do that for your children. How much more does God want to give to you. The third reason why we should approach God this way is because He will provide everything we need. Look at verse 8. I tell you, though He will not get up and give Him anything because He's His friend, yet because of His impudence, He will rise and give Him whatever He needs. Those who ask will receive. Those who seek will find. Those who knock, the door will be opened. God will hear you. He will open to you. And he will only give good to you. Now we know that we can pray wrongly. We can pray that God gives us our idolatry. And God's good enough to open the door to you and say no. In fact, in James 2, it says, you have not because you do not ask. He's speaking to Christians. You have not because you haven't been praying, and God's means to his ends is through prayer, and you're not praying. You have not because you do not ask. One of their problems is they quit going to God. The second problem was, is when you ask, you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. So the other reason why you don't have is because you're asking for idolatry and God's too good to give you idolatry. He, he will answer the prayer 
your request that God be glorified, that his will be done, that he provide for your physical needs and he provides for your spiritual needs. And by the way, he won't provide for your physical needs to the point where it will harm you. Sometimes that's what we ask for, right? We want to make a God out of God's provision. We want to worship the creature rather than the creator. Those who pray as Jesus taught and shamelessly ask, seek, and knock, God will give to them good things. Psalm 84.10 says this, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Every time you come to God, he will open the door to you. And the psalmist says, one day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. It's amazing. I would rather be the doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Do you believe that? No good thing does God withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Paul tells the Philippian church, God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory. Yeah, he'll provide every one of your needs. He's got a storehouse back there and he might grab a few loaves of bread and give it to you. That's not what he says. He's going to give to you according to the riches of his glory, which brings us to the fourth point. He's extravagantly generous. He's extravagantly generous. Here's how he finishes this passage in verse 13. If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to him who asks? Now here's why this is odd at first. If we were going to look at Matthew's equivalent to this, uh, what Matthew says in Matthew 7.11, it says, If you then are evil, know how to give good, good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? That's what you expect. If an evil father gives good things, how much more will your heavenly Father give good things? But in Luke, it says, How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit. What's Jesus getting at here? I don't think I can do better than what I read in John MacArthur's commentary. Some commentaries say that in Luke, Jesus narrows it down. Matthew says, God will give all types of good gifts, but Luke, he narrows it down to the Holy Spirit. And MacArthur points out that that's so wrong. We don't narrow down when we get to the Holy Spirit. And then here's what he says. To those who ask for a gift, 
He gives the giver. To those who ask for an effect, he gives the cause. To those who ask for a product, he gives the source. To those who seek comfort, he gives the comforter. To those who seek power, he gives the source of power. To those who seek help, he gives the helper. To those who seek truth, he gives the spirit of truth. To those who seek love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, he gives the producer of all those things. The indwelling Holy Spirit is the source of every good thing in the Christian's life. He says, when you pray, you go at it hard because my Father gives extravagantly. He will give you everything you need. In fact, He will give you Himself to live inside of you so that no matter what circumstance you're in, the greatest good in the world, God Himself, will never leave you or forsake you. He's there with you. How gracious is our God. Why do we not storm the gates of heaven with our prayers? Why do we lack confidence as though, I know the Bible says God does great things through prayer, but I don't. What? How has the Lord failed you when you sought Him? When you knocked, when you went after Him? Has God not provided enough for you? Does He not have more for you? Here's why Paul prays like this as we draw this to the, to, to the end. In Ephesians 3, Paul prays that the church at Ephesus would know what God's like, that they would know his love. Here's what he says. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from, every, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so you may, so Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you may be rooted and grounded in love, and have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He's praying. He's like, Lord, you're so great. You're so loving. Your love is so high and so wide and so deep and so far that give him Holy Spirit power to have something of a glimpse to be able to comprehend your love. And he says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Paul's praying. He says, Lord, give him Holy Spirit power to understand how great I am. That I answer prayers so much further beyond what we could even ask or imagine. See, Paul's praying that they want to give up praying. That they want to buy into the lie that God is not good. 
Martin Lloyd-Jones says, the quickest way to quench the Holy Spirit is to not obey his impulse to pray. And I read an article that Jason Meyer, pastor of Bethlehem Church, uh, wrote about how Martin Lloyd-Jones helped him in his prayer life. And that line right there, the quickest way to quench the Spirit is to not obey the impulse to pray. He talked about how when he was working on his doctoral degree uh, and working nights at UPS, a lot of times he would get exhausted and tired as he'd be driving home. And one morning at 4.30 in the morning, he had almost drifted off the road twice and he had 10 minutes of his drive left and the next thing he knows... He opens his eyes and he's in his driveway and he's like, it was one of the most terrifying things. Have no idea how he got there and he walks into his house, walks into his bedroom to find his wife totally awake and the first thing she says is, how was your drive? And he says, well, it's funny you ask. I was fighting, falling asleep the whole time and she says, I know, I woke up and I knew that I needed to pray for you to get home safely. God works his ends through the means of prayer. And we give up one of the greatest privileges. You can have God's attention at any moment you want. If you want to ask, if you want to seek, if you knock, that door will open. God will fellowship with you. And be like a child who takes the promises of God to the Father and says, give them to me for your glory. That you might be glorified. Give me what I need to glorify you. Answer this prayer. This is what David does, right? Don't let him kill me. If they kill me, I won't be able to praise you. Let me stay alive. I want to praise your name. So let us not give up. Let us be like this man who shamelessly, you know, he's, he's breaking every rule of courtesy in a sense. And it's not that we don't come with awe. We come with awe, but he's our father. And he wants to hear from us. And that's what Jesus wanted his disciples to know. Father, I pray that we would be a praying people. Father, I pray that we would ask for things for your glory. Father, keep us from any temptation to idolatry. Let our prayers be good prayers. But Lord, let them come from uncivilized people who are desperate and need their father. Lord, help us be like children. Father, we know that Christ taught us that we cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless we come as children. Those who have no hope in and of themselves, but look to you for provision. God, I pray that we would be people that would not have confidence in and of ourselves, but we would know who you are, that you're merciful and gracious, 
that when we approach your throne, it's called the throne of grace. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.